Hello and welcome to the pep talk. You're here with your two favorite bald frauds, Sam and Jason, bright and early, at least for me, um, talking all things Manchester City, specifically a nice little 3-0-1 against the noisy neighbors over on the other side of Manchester. How you feeling, Jason? Yeah, man. I'm buzzing. 3-0 against United. What else can you ask for? <laughs> you know, you were just saying you're working up early, but you're excited to do a, to do a pod, especially when it's three nil against United. So I'm excited how, to talk about. How this. can you not be excited? Yeah, how can you <laughs> not? So yeah, let let's get into it before we even get into lineups. Like, what were your expectations in this game? Um, I was timid. So, like, for for me. In my head, I'm like, we should be absolutely battering this United team. They are beyond shit, let's be honest, right? Like, right now, with their current lineup, with their current injuries, with their current form, with the way they're playing, my expectations were going to the game, we should be winning 3-4-0, to four nil, right? Easily. However, <laughs> when we play United at Old Trafford or even at the Etihad, it is a it's a it is a derby, and things do go wrong, and things do happen. You know, we didn't even need to talk about it. But we can go back to last season at Old Trafford. You know, we should have won that game. We were a much better team. You know, they get one dodgy call, and things flip, and the crowd changes, and the nerves kick in, etc. And suddenly, you've lost a game that you shouldn't have lost. So it can happen. So yeah, always with derbies or any big games, I'm a bit timid, but. Expectations wise, like what the the head was saying over the heart, definitely. I'm like, yeah, we need to smash them. What about you? Yeah, that's that's the weird thing with with Manchester derbies is like we we've been much better than United for quite some time, but you never really feel confident, like because mm. a stupid shit just always seems to happen. And yeah, man. Yes, hundred percent. And so, like, I felt as confident as I should, just because, like you said, like they're awful and we're good. So, yeah, there, there, I, was, a, I, there was a stat before, before, before this week. They're out of in, in the Premier. When it comes to the Premier League in in the Pep era, Man United have actually beaten us the third most. First is Tottenham, and then Chelsea. Right, but they're tied with Chelsea for five wins. So we've yeah. got the most. We've got mo- one of the most losses against them, and some bullshit always happens. Like 2018, Etihad, you know, should uh, should be winning the title game against them, and you know, shit happens after going up two nil. <laughs> like it's just you you expect the worst. Even like in this game, when we talk about it, like we're up two nil, and I'm just like. When's it going to happen? <laughs> but I think this version of Man United is that shit that nothing did happen and we absolutely wiped the floor with them, which is good to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it was... Yeah, I, I felt as confident as I could because I just knew this team was shit and and we were good, but... um. How were you feeling when the lineups came out? Happy. Um, I was like the, really the only the only question mark that I had with the lineup was and and 
to be honest, like the, the lineup leaked 24 hours before um, from the from the FPL account. I'm like, ooh, that's a bit early. So I'm a bit surprised that that leaked that early. But he basically called the entire lineup and Grealish was starting. And really that for me was the only question mark whether Doku or Grealish starts. Um, you know, Doku's form you'd say deserves the start. But it's an away game, an away derby. You go with the experience, the control, and the you know the ability to hold the ball. And and, and Grealish is a bit better defensively as well. So in that sense, I don't blame Pep for picking for picking Grealish. So I, at the end of the day, I was happy with the lineup because I, that's the only question mark that I had going into the game. In reality, before this, we used to always have like Gavardi or Ake, but with Ake's form. I'm happy to have Gavardio and what Gavardio has been doing on on the <laughs> on the field should be illegal right now. <laughs> really, <laughs> he's ridiculous. That player, man, he's absolutely ridiculous. Was it, the way was it Roy Keane that called him Maldini? Somebody, <laughs> I, I I'm not sure, but the way he was dribbling, man, oh my god, I was like, I'm like, is this a centre back? <laughs> The whole time I'm wondering, like, is this a centre back? Like, what is this? <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> nah, he's fucking he's- brilliant. So, yeah. So, honestly, the thing that made me most excited about the lineup wasn't our lineup. <laughs> it was United. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> like, that's true. When I saw that lineup, I'm like, oh no, this is <laughs> Lindelof playing left back. Johnny Evans in. It, Casemiro, Veron, not even lineups, like not not nowhere to be seen, and Bruno Fernandez on right wing. I'm just yeah. like, oh no, this is this Man, is the, honestly the lineup from Ericsson Hag needs to be talked about a lot. You know, to have I know Veron and regular might not be fully fit, but come on, you're playing Johnny fucking Evans. Johnny fucking Evans was in the 6-1 defeat at Old Trafford almost fucking 10 years ago, 11 years ago, wherever the fuck it was. How are you still playing Johnny Evans? <laughs> like, Johnny Evans, I'm pretty sure, was brought in to, like, help coach the The kids, academy players the or something. Academy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and they right, said, that's right. yeah, and they said, well, we don't have enough United guys, so you want to sign a 10-day contract and then it turned into... <laughs> That a turned into contract. a full contract. Like, what? It is ridiculous. Honestly, he, he got sent off in the 6-1 in 2011. That was 12 years ago. And he's starting again at 30. What is he, 34, 35? 35, something like that. And and he just came from a relegated Leicester. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he he's been shining at 35. Yeah, I, look, all my all my United friends, as soon as the lineup came out, were just laughing, and they're just like, "We're gonna get slapped, five or six. And I'm just like, "Man, this is a really bad lineup." Like, yeah, yeah, and and as soon as that lineup comes out, you, your expectations, you you expect to win, and that makes it in a way more scary because <laughs> you're just like I don't is any shenanigans gonna happen in this game where I'm gonna get the shits after <laughs> you yeah. know Ra- Rashford being offside but Bruno Fernandez goal type type scenario or, or a dodgy penalty <laughs> speaking of dodgy penalties let's go to the first half 
Yep. Um, <laughs> so uh, United actually started off okay, but I, I really think like anything they started off with really came from city mistakes, like just stupid yeah. errors, like mispass, misplaced passes or getting caught on the ball or something stupid like that. It wasn't really United playing well. It was just city hadn't really woken up yet. Basically, yeah. So, but, but, yeah, literally, I think every chance United had a goal or even a sniff of a chance was literally, like you said, from a mistake from one of our players. And that's a bit of jitters. You know, you're in a Manchester, Dar- Manchester derby, you're playing away, you're, you know, like it just happens. You know, you, that can happen when you, when you do play in a game like this. So, but look, the team responded well defensively and, you know, weathered the storm, as they say, for the first few minutes. And then basically we started gaining control and getting our rhythm into the game as it, as it went on. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah, we started we had, creating and, and chances. Yeah, we had a great chance. Foden and then you know Haaland went with his foot and missed it and hit on Arna. That was a you know bit of a <laughs> all over the place type. I feel like he should have went with his head there, like just you know just, you know just bend down and hit it. Um, yeah, and he decided to go with his foot. And it's 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 and we'll talk about a bit, a bit about Harlan a bit later, but I feel like he's in my mind a bit in his head when it comes to decision making around the goal, right? So like he's second guessing himself because of his form, um, but you know he's still Harlan and he's still unbelievable, so he still scores two. What he scored two yeah. goals this game, so <laughs> and an assist. Yeah, and I guess like the. The biggest thing that happened mostly in the first half, you know, the game was shifting City's way for the most part, and then penalty happens. Yeah. It I guess biggest question is, is it a penalty? So this this is the interesting thing, and this might be controversial from my end. It is a penalty, but it never gets called. And I can I can understand, I can empathize as as much as I hate United and whatnot. I can empathize with the decision where they feel hard done by because that never gets called. So if I was in the reverse scenario and that happened against us, I'd be pissed because even in the same game, similarly happened, I think, to Haaland. Haaland got absolutely grabbed by Maguire, like rugby tackled, and nothing was called. So it's like you can't even be consistent in the same game, let alone in the Premier League. So I can see why they'd be hard done by it. But in reality, it is it is a foul and it should be called a penalty. So, it, and this is the thing. If they were more consistent with it, players would not do it to begin with, right? I, I can't remember. It was like four seasons ago or five seasons ago where we went. they went through a stage where like, you know, I think it was the first five or six weeks of the Premier League of like the 2016, 17, I can't remember which season it was. And literally every every time someone got grabbed in the, in the penalty box, they called a pen to try stamp it out. And after a couple of weeks, players stop doing it, right? And then they just go back to what they're normally doing and don't call the the, the, the grabbing anymore. And you see what you, you look at you look at the box these days and I guarantee you there'll be about three players grabbing each other in the box because they know they're not gonna call it. So why wouldn't you? You're at a disadvantage if you don't grab a player. So for them to call it a penalty, yeah, I can I can empathize with it but yeah it should be a penalty just be consistent with it i'm always an advocate of just be consistent so yeah yeah that's where that's where my line in the ground is in terms of that penalty 
Yeah, uh, I basically the same way. Like what the the referees just haven't been consistent in it because if that foul happens on the midway line, that's immediately a foul, right? 100%. Immediately. Yeah. Maybe even a yellow card depending on the situation. So they should be calling that all the time, but they rarely do. And also, do I care? No, because United <laughs> have gotten plenty of dodgy calls against us, specifically one last year at Old Trafford. So I just look at this as payback more than anything. Like, I do I really care if they're going to not call something like that or call something like that? No, because United get great refereeing calls all the time. Remember a couple of years ago under Ole, they were getting a penalty oh, yeah, every man. game. It was, yeah, yeah. Don't remind me. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just, I don't want to hear it. Um, and also, I don't really think it affected the outcome of the game. Like it, it would still have, dominated yeah. them. It wouldn't have so, affected. It. And and shout out to all the United fans, um, um, claiming corruption and that and that we paid the referees. You're 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 making my week. Honestly, keep it up, keep up the corruption calls. Apparently, you know why? Why are they allowing the same referee that went to the UAE ref and VAR the same game, even though it was the same VAR? I think it was Mark Oliver, who's the same VAR referee that gave the dodgy penalty, the dodgy offside call last year. Come on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if just, we're paying him that well, that, that shit, that shit wouldn't happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Just that's just idiot United fans is what it is, mm-hmm. and then. Really, we we after that we just started getting even better and better. I think by the time, um, you know, right at the end of the first half, there was that great Holland chance, header yeah. chance that Onana saved. I, am I the only one that thinks that that wasn't an amazing save by Onana? Like it was a good save, obviously. In in, but- in the in the moment, in the moment, it looked like an amazing save, but then you watch it back. So this is what happened. Everyone just jumped up. Oh, what an amazing save. And then that's all you remember from it. And then you move on. But if you actually go watch it back, it wasn't a great save. It was just not a very good finish by Haaland. If that's a great save, then what Edison saved from Lukaku in the Champions League final, that's also considered a great save. That's how I look at it. Because you've aimed it straight at the keeper. If Haaland goes literally to his right or even down or even to the left, it's a goal guaranteed. Lanana's not touching it. But he literally put it head right at his arms, right in the middle of the goal, made it very easy for Nana to to, to save that. Because Anana Anana was already out of position, so he, the only thing he could do was dive as far as he could back across yeah. the goal. So in reality, he it literally Harlan can put it anywhere else, and Anana's not touching it. But he put it literally on a plate for him for him to save. Like you, he was basically, if he was aiming for Anana, it would, you know, you'd consider it impressive. That's it. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of Onana, I thought his distribution was shockingly bad. Like, I he's been, I mean, in the past for Inter and for Ajax, like that's been his biggest strength is how good he is with his feet. And of course, idiot United fans before the season say like, "Oh, he's already better than Ederson, right?" Yeah, I don't care <laughs> about that. But he 
seemingly like he was just booting the ball. Like I didn't see. I saw very little like actual good passing out from the back where he is an asset to the team. And I don't know whether that's United being shit to where he has nowhere to pass it to or just every time it was like he would even try to pass like between the lines or anything. It was like City just jumped on it. Yeah, it's 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 the first thing you said. So it's 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 a symptom of United being shit. He, I think I think statistically he was their best progressive passer <laughs> on the day. So that tells you everything you need to know about how shit United are. I think it's more of a symptom of that because his distribution in the Champions League final only like four months ago was you know really really good. So I don't think he's it's a skill set issue or, or it's a Nana thing. I I just think it's a symptom of how bad United are. With the, with the quality of players they have, he's got no outlet. So, he's trying to play from the back, but he's got nowhere to go. So, he has to go long. And then, because he has to go long, it's, you're going to end up missing some. So, this is a bigger discussion, really, about kind of the state of United or what Eric Ten Hag is trying to do. Because I thought when Ten Hag first got hired, I thought that was, that was a good hire. I thought he was a good coach. And... Now, He's in when I head. look at, well, when I when I look at it, you know, over a year later, I wonder what he's trying to do because that's what I used to say about Ole. I'm like, I don't really know what United's trying to do. It just yeah. looks like you're just trying to put a bunch of individuals on the field. That I have, that I have a philosophy. really you, yeah, and and uh, like any of United's winning under Ole was. Somebody pulling out some individual brilliance, right? And then winning like one nothing or 2-1 or something stupid, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought this this team's going to be much more cohesive. Eric Ten Hag has brought in a lot of his Ajax players or Eredivisie players or players that he knows and trusts. And yet, I still don't know what they're trying to do. Because they play nothing like his Ajax teams. I watched a lot of his Ajax teams, actually. <laughs> well, and they, you, they don't play anything like those teams. Did, did you see his quote? He said, yeah. he said, he said, we'll never play anything like my Ajax team. That tells you everything you need to know about Eric Ten Hag. He is in over his head right now. And he does not, he's drowning. He's literally drowning. The players look like they're starting to give up on him. And- and do you know what it is? It's because he's got a confused philosophy. That's what it is. It comes down to if, you, if, a, if a manager doesn't know what he wants from his players, then suddenly the players are confused. It's a different story if, like, he sets a philosophy and he, and he, and he you know, basically lives and dies on, on the sword, right? So, like, he has to stick to it and he's not because he's scared now. He's, he's at that point where he's like, I'm trying different things. And the players become unsure, and then the seed of doubt it just gets planted, and it just expands from there. For me, I look at that and go, "He's in the of his head. He's drowning. He, he he'll be sacked by December or January." Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he's gone. In in my mind, he's already gone. United fans are already losing at him. And 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 a lot especially of United, if they don't make the Champions League the next uh, the round of 16. correct, right? Correct, exactly. So, and a lot of United fans are looking at it and going. Like a lot of a lot of fans are starting to justify that he should be sacked, and it's because he doesn't have a style. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have he's not 
put it like I'd, I think they'd feel better if the manager was saying, I'm sticking to this and I'm just going to die by it, right? And if it doesn't work, that's on me, right? That's on, that's my philosophy that didn't work with the set of players that I have. You know, a, a manager has to adjust a little bit, but he's not, he's not, he doesn't have anything. He's just like, what are you doing then? So, yeah. Yeah, I, there's, there's a really weird line that you have to play, right? Because you can't be dogmatic, right? You, you can't. You have to know how to adjust. Like Pep, Pep's Bayern and Pep's Barcelona don't play like Pep City. Even Pep's early days at City, like they are constantly evolving. But the the basic principles of how you want to play are still there, right? Like it's not like City are all of a sudden going to turn into like a super deep defensive block counterattacking. You know what I mean? Like that. That wouldn't change. It's just I would have expected the the principles of possession-based football to follow him. And obviously, like, you're going to have to adjust the way you play depending on the players you have. But also, like, part of that quote, he said, well, we can't play the same way because I don't have the same players, right? <laughs> you brought all your fucking players in. Like, what are you talking about? Onana was your keeper. Uh, Martinez was your center back. And half the other guys either played in Anthony, the Eredivisie yeah. or played Anthony. Erickson played for Ajax. Amrabat, Ajax Academy. Malasia played in the Eredivisie. Like, all of these, you've brought in plenty of guys. So, yeah. I don't know what you're, like... I don't know what your excuse is for not being able to execute the way you want to play. That that, that just that doesn't make any sense. And then also, I mean, Sancho's another a completely different topic, but you've alienated him, whether it's right or wrong. Like he's a big signing. He's a very good player when he can be, and he's in a position that you need. And you've alienated him. And also, on top of all of that, you've taken the captaincy away from Harry Maguire, who, yeah, he doesn't look very good, but also he seemed like a good guy in the locker room. Like, he seemed like he would be a good captain at the very least. And you gave it to Bruno Fernandez, who does nothing but whine and bitch all over the field. Like, do you want that to be your captain? I don't know. It's all very, very odd, and it's yeah, yeah. You make you make a lot of good points on why Eric Ten Hag is failing, right? So first, Maguire shouldn't be anywhere near the pitch. He he wanted to get rid of him three months ago, right? He basically stripped the captain offensive. They tried to sell him multiple times. He didn't go, right? You alienated him as well. So like basically, it was like you're not playing, right? And now suddenly, because you're in an injury crisis, it's like oh, we need you again. And then you've put him straight back into a lineup, and you and you're playing him in the Manchester derby. So he's not sticking to his guns, essentially, right? He's he's a flip flopper already. So he's he's losing respect from the players in the dressing room. It's like, oh, you wanted him out. Why is he not out? Right? He doesn't have the balls to go make a decision and stick by it. Right? The whole Sancho thing, like you said, he's alienated him. Right? He's in this scenario, he's sticking by his guns. But this seems like an ego thing. This should have been this should have been dealt with behind doors. They should have hashed it out and then fucking played. He, Sanchez should be playing right now. 
But the fact that it's such an ego thing and it's just like, oh, it's all on Sancho. He's got an attitude problem. Fine, he might do, but you should be able to sort that out as a manager, right? Third, like you said, he's brought in a lot of players and he's not even playing these players. So, he spent, what, $60 million on Mason Mount? Where's Mason Mount been? He was apparently there in the second half. I fucking I didn't, didn't even. I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't notice him. I didn't even notice I didn't him. Right? See so, him. Yeah. So, you, so you wanted Mason Mount. You got him. You're not utilizing him correctly. You went and got Anthony. You paid eighty something million for him last season. He's been fucking garbage. He's absolute. He's a fidget spinner, basically, right? So, there's all these things he's done in the market and and talent ID profiling. It's just he it. He's done multiple decisions wrong, and then he has. He has he he's, has the audacity to say, "Oh, I don't have the right players to play my style of football." Nah, he's 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 done. I'm telling you, he, give it a couple months. He'll go through a really bad p- a form in the next month or two, and he's getting sacked. Like it's just, it's well, just already it's already written, right? You can put it down. <laughs> here's here's the other thing too is. I mean, this is also indicative of how shit United are, right? Like, I think as as bad as Ten Hag has been, is there any manager that could go to United and succeed with the infrastructure they have? Because there's not many. Like the and right, the no, ones no. who would and the ones who would actually go there and succeed wouldn't go to United, right? It would be like Pep. <laughs> That's yeah, I never want to go to United. So. It's because of the, like, you shouldn't be scrapping all of your summer transfer plans just to get guys that the coach says he wants, right? Like, the coach needs to be in sync with your scouting and with your leadership, like Pep said at the end of the press conference, because there are times where Pep says he wants a guy, and then City go scout him, they do their due diligence on him, and then, (laughs) you know, they evaluate him, they do all that stuff. Pep took a shot at United, by the way. He said, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, we're all in sync from manager to director to ownership to whatever. Like, we we're all aligned yeah. of what we want. He was basically taking a pot shot at United and saying, you guys are a fucking mess. <laughs> but also, uh, like, here's the other thing is sometimes the leadership and the scouting know better than the coach. Like, there's a reason Pep Guardiola isn't a scout. He's got right. enough shit to do, right? Like, he's not out there going to, like, random, you know, Serie A games looking at players. He's not because he's got better things to do. So, you have to rely on your scouting department. Perfect two examples. Pep needed to be convinced to sign Ruben Diaz. Yep. And I think Juan Malio really helped push him after they watched some tape, but... That came from City Scouting Department. Like City yeah. Scouting Department was like, we like this guy. Pep needed to be convinced of it. You know who else Pep needed to be convinced of? Erling Holland. Right? Yeah. Like he that wasn't his first choice either. Well, so Kane. and I don't blame him. Like Kane stylistically is just insane, right? Yeah. But another great like, example is like Salah at Liverpool, right? Klopp wanted I think Goatsy at the time. And their 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 scouting department said no. We've we want Salah because it's a going to be cheaper. B's you know we we think he's going to be a great player, and he's probably been their best player over the last six seven years. Probably one of their best players of all time, right? So and basically, Klopp's success is probably you can attribute it to 
Mo Salah, and that's what you need. You need to empower your scouting and your. It's a top, it's a top to, to bottom system that you need for a coach to to, to succeed. United doesn't have that. Let's be honest. Well, that and obviously, like you shouldn't be signing players that are completely stylistically against the way your manager wants to run things. Hundred percent, right? especially in a in a thing like Klopp or Pat, where you know they're going to be there for some time. They're not going anywhere. And so, obviously, like, you don't want to do that. Like, it's not like City are going to sign a keeper who sucks with his feet, you know? Yeah, basically. So, but it's, at the it, same time, like, it, Pep trusts the scouting department. So, you got to remember something. Sorry, the Ralph Ragnick situation as well. People forget about this, right? They put in Ralph Ragnick to be a temporary solution for six months and then for him to be like a, um, what do they call it, a consultant, right? For Eric Ten Hag to tell him, what you need to do, what you should bring in, etc., and, and identify players for him, etc. Eric Tanahar came and said, I don't want anything to do with Rafa Nick. He, he basically fucked him off. That tells you everything you need to know about Eric Tanahar and his ego and his and his, and his talent ID, right? And he's, he's terrible at it. He's, they should not have given him the power to do what he's doing right now. He's wasted hundreds of millions of pounds on players. And this is another problem with United. They've had these managers that bring, they come in and they choose different type of players to fit their system or what they think is good for their system and then you've got mismatched players all on the same team and then the next manager deals with the other previous manager's bullshit. It's never going to end for him. Well, that and also I think the thing with Renek that kind of gets overlooked is it looked like United were kind of getting on the right track when they hired him, right? Like this guy's going to be a temporary six-month coach and then he's going to help us find somebody in his philosophy. He can kind of be almost a de facto director of football and be in charge of the scouting and that kind of stuff, which is what he did at Leipzig and, and Salzburg. And who had like some of the best scouting departments in the world? Leipzig and Salzburg. And so you're like, okay, this guy is going to come in and he's going to kind of take over the football department. And he's going to get a coach in that he likes. He's going to like kind of instill some basic values in the team and all of this stuff. And then while he's there, you know, the things he would say in press conferences were 100% true, but the Glazers obviously didn't like it, right? Like he, he'd go in a press conference and say, no, this club needs open heart surgery. We need about 10 new players. And it was 100% true, right? Like, but they obviously didn't empower him to do anything. I don't think Eric Ten Hag was probably not even his choice because he doesn't play the style that Renick is kind of famous for, right? Like the very direct 4-2-2-2 Leipzig German style. And so, yeah, it was just, it was just a mess. That doesn't make with sense. With Renick. And doesn't, doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, all right. I know back that tangent about United <laughs> is going back to the game. It's, al- uh, it's always good, it's always good to anyway to talk about how shit United are and how shit they are from top to bottom. It's it's always a good chat. So, anyways, back yeah. to the game though. <laughs> um, second, second half, half just looked easy. Like the first half, I I felt like we should have been up two nil or three nil, but the second half was just really easy. Yeah, it look. It was a bit frustrating going to that second half, not being up. But you know, we come into the second half 
and Haaland has his, what, chance at 47 minutes, 46 minutes. And it was basically the same move from the first half <laughs> that he, like, you know, badly missed, I'd say, where Renata had that great save with inverted commas. Um, and basically the same move happens, and just this time he finishes a lot better because he, he went over the keeper and the keeper couldn't do nothing. But it was basically the same <laughs> the same move. And <laughs> sorry to say, but terrible defending by United. You can't leave Haaland open at the back post. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, City had been doing that all night. Like, yeah. they had been... It was it was a very deliberate thing for... First off, City, like... And if anybody wants to read my thread on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it about kind of the more nitty-gritty tactic stuff, but the City's buildup was essentially very easy because United would press five people with four, and City were very good at finding the open person which was usually Vardiol or Kyle Walker. And they just, it seemed like Ederson too. He would just like, how many times did you see him just like ping one out to Walker and nobody's within 10 yards of Kyle Walker, like nobody's near him. And so we were able to progress the ball at the pitch, but a lot of it was like getting the ball to Rodri and stones, switching it out to Grealish and then just letting Grealish and Bernardo overload that that left-hand side or United's right side of defense. And so many times Bernardo had underlapping runs or overlapping runs. And that ball came into the box. Like not just those two times for Holland. It was a bunch of times. So it was, it was clear and deliberate. And I also think that's why Grealish started. Like, I think not just for like the control part of it. Yeah. Oh, he was incredible. But I, I don't think it wasn't just the control part of it. It's basically a result of him being part of Pep's system a little longer and understanding what Pep wants him to do. Because Doku's great, but when Doku gets that ball on the left side and he's one-on-one, he's thinking one thing. I'm taking yeah. him on and <laughs> I'm going to score or whatever, which is great. But that's not always needed, right? Like in that position... Grealish was better because he recognized when to make that pass to Bernardo, when to hold it up and wait for Bernardo to make that run, when to pass it early, when to cut inside. And Doku just isn't there yet, just because he hasn't been around as much, really. It's not like a, like a knock on Doku. It's just that Grealish knows more of situational awareness. And I think that's that's one reason why he started, whereas Doku just gets the ball on the left, and he's immediately like, oh, I'm going to cook this guy. And that just isn't always needed. So, And, and, and I think something, like, something that's good that came out of this is hopefully this will stop the Grealish slash Doku comparisons or, or slander online because, <laughs> yeah, honestly, like it's people are so overreactory. Like just, just take a step back and realize what we achieved last season and why Grealish is important to what we do. Um, but I, I think, you know, between Grealish and Bernardo, they're probably one of our, two of our best players on the, on the pitch yesterday or oh, when the game happens. Sorry, not yesterday. <laughs> Still lost in the week. But it feels like yesterday, which is good. <laughs> um, but no, Bernardo, Bernardo was fantastic in this game. I think he created the most... So his passing was actually the most threatening in the game, statistically as well. And it was mm-hmm. evident. He, he created the most chances. He had the assist to Haaland. Um... You know, those overlaps that he was doing, 
you know, <laughs> see Scott McTominay looked lost with what Bernardo was doing. You know what I mean? So that's and that's exactly sometimes what you need from these type of players. You give them a bit of space, give them a bit of um, you know, a bit of freedom, and they're just unlocked basically. So I, I think they were absolutely brilliant in this game. Yeah, I think one thing that was that I was kind of surprised by for the second half. I thought the second half was better than the first, but I didn't know how big a contrast. So the XG at halftime was City had 1.25 and United had 0.27. At least from from the from what I'm using, from the, the stats I'm using. Everybody that, has their different models, right? And that includes a penalty, which is at 0. 0.7. Yeah, so, yeah, it's like 0. 0.78 or something like that. So yeah, exactly, yeah. City kind of had like 0. 0.5 XG other than the penalty. United had 0. 0.2, and that was really it. In the second half, so City finished the game with 4.55 XG and United with 0. 0.71, which means in the second half... Said he had about 3.3 XG, and United had 0. 0.46. Okay, so second half the was second half, better. Yeah, the I'm second sorry. half was just it was just dominant, and there's no penalties. 3.3 XG in a half is insane. I, I, think, I think I think Foden's goal would probably count to like 0. 0.99 XG anyway because <laughs> yeah. it's an open net. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Holland's as well. Like, Holland mm, had more true. of an open net than, um, yeah, but Holland we, had. We tore him to shreds, basically, in the second half. We, we could have easily scored four or five in that uh, second yeah. half alone. Like it's- So, Holland's goal was 0. 0.4 XG. Foden's goal was 0. 0.92. There you go, 0. 0.92. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, that 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 tells you everything you need to know about. And very unselfish, very unselfish from Haaland, by the way. Like he was, he's on a hat trick. We're up two 0 You know, ten minutes to go. You know, people wouldn't wouldn't begrudge him for taking the shot there, right? The right play was to pass to, to Foden, but it shows Haaland's ability to be unselfish and and be a playmaker. And his playmaking has been really. Impressive this season, to be honest. I feel like his passing has um, improved. <laughs> We've lost a bit of his finishing, but his passing has improved. <laughs> Maybe he needs to go back to practice shooting only instead of passing. But um, Because I do think Haaland has a lot of room to improve on his finishing. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying we, have, we lack creativity and whatnot, but... I don't think it's a creativity thing. I've, I've, I've maintained that I think it's a finishing issue. Um, and it starts with Haaland, a lot of it, to be honest. Yeah, and it's crazy to say because he still has more goals, 11 goals. than anybody else. <laughs> yeah, he's got 11 like, goals. He's, but- he's on pace to break his record from last year, which is, is it, crazy how to much, say. How many has he got now? Is it 11? No, it's, tw- it's 13 goals now that he got, sorry. Um, in the Premier League, I believe it's 10. Oh no! In the in the pre- in the Premier League, I think it is eleven. Yeah, I think it is eleven. But in all competitions, it's thirteen. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it is. Because I I was reading, I was doing some st- stats on him. Because a lot of people saying to me like, "Oh, the, you know, we're not creating enough." But I'm like, not really. You look at the XG from last season to this season at the same point with the same amount of games played. 
Um, Haaland had 20 goals in all comps from 12 XG. This this season, this is before the United game. This season, he had he's he's had only 11 goals from 12 XG. So it's the same XG, but he scored almost double the amount of goals. That tells you everything you need to know about his finishing this season. It's not like and that and it's kind of the problem, right? Maybe last season was. You know, I think last your, season might have been the outlier. Yeah, it might have been an outlier. It's like beyond exceptional, right? Because he started the season. People forget he started the season so 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 hot. Like he was. Literally, it was like a touch of gold. Every time he touched the ball, he was scoring almost, right? And now, you know, his his finishing's returned to the mean. Probably probably started midway through last season, right? Um, but because he had that such a high goal lead from the early season that he did end up did finishing on so many goals. But he had a mad, fantastic start to last season, which helped him gain that, you know, like I said, 20 goals from from 12 XG in 11 games or 12 games or what it was. That's crazy, man. Crazy, crazy numbers. It, 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 and I think that's what became the problem with him. We we started expecting that every single time. Like, And that's the funny thing. He, he takes a shot on goal and you're like, oh, he missed. Oop, that's surprising. You start like you expect him to score because when he's in that position, you just expect him to always hit the back of the net. But the reality is that you we need to temper our expectations. And then once he hits that run of form, he'll start finishing everything again and the numbers will go up again. That's what I think will happen. I think he'll just be better for it at the end of the day. Yeah, I think I saw a stat once that was like the conversion of what's the stat that's called big chances. Like the big chance conversion rate for all of the best strikers in the world is something like 30 or 40%. Like it, it's very low, even for the best strikers. That's for yeah. like when I was looking at it, it was for like, Messi, Ronaldo, Lewandowski, Benzema, like those guys. And they're they're at like the 20, 30, 40% range. Like it's incredibly low. And Holland, yeah, there's there's definitely some some thing goals that he needs to finish, but he's also been exceptional in finishing as well. Right? Yeah. Like go back to the the game midweek young boys, like he curled the ball with his right foot around the keeper or even the game at the weekend last week. Like it's probably yeah, from outside. outside yeah. Yeah. From outside the maybe, box. Like may, maybe he's, he's taking, he's taking the tapping, you know, thing to, to hard and now he's bangers only. You know what I mean? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he saw, he saw Julian Alvarez and was like, no, I need to show I can do better than that. <laughs> but that's the thing. And, like, he, like you said, he'll start finishing those chances anyway as the season goes on. Like, there's been a lot of. I, you could probably point to four or five big, big chances where you like another day he's scoring all four of those goals. Right? Like, it's those chances where you're just like, how do you miss it? They're the ones that are concerning because that, and that's what I feel like he's in his head a little bit because it's like, yeah, you know, you should be scoring that, and that's when he gets into his head. It's like, oh shit, like I'm, I'm missing easy chances. I'm you know, but overall, well, I think he'll be fine eventually. Well, yeah, it's crazy too that we're talking about Holland in a bad run of form, and he has eleven goals in ten games. Exactly. You know what it's I mean? Exa- it's, like, it's exactly my point, right? It's like that's the expectations that we have of him because we know he's so like so bloody good. So yeah, but look, it, back to the game. You know? <laughs> yeah. It. 
these tangents. Thrashing United, man. Thrashing United's always good. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It, the only thing we can talk about is tangents, because every time we talk about the game, it's like, yeah, we thrashed United. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, it was just... It was so easy. Like, that's... And I think the, the sub made no sense. Like, the halftime sub for Mason Mount for Amrabat. Amrabat seemed like the only person that cared in their midfield. Like, Dude, he the was the only person that looked like he was working. Him and Hoyland seem like the only people who on that pitch who cared. And it's because they're fairly new to the team and they haven't gotten the United stink on them yet. You know what I mean? Like they haven't basically <laughs> like they're, they're so new that all they know is to actually try hard because it seemed like once the second goal went in, they just gave up. I mean, but they just I, gave I, up again. Like I hate to go back to Eric and hug, but, these decisions that he's doing with the substitutes make no sense, like you said. Like, how do you go, right, you sub on, so like you said, Amrabat for Mason Mount. I, I kind of get that, like, All right, let's try and get, become a bit more attacking. You know, we, we, we need to score some goals type of thing. I get that. But he, he takes off Holland for, I think he took him off for Garnacho. He took him off for Garnacho, right? Yeah. Right? And then he moves Rashford to striker. To striker. Rashford is terrible at being a striker. He does not know how to play in the striker position. It just does not work. It never has worked. You have to put Rashford on the left. Why would you take... You're chasing the game, right? Why would you take off Holland? All right? I don't even know how to say he's got well, names. It sounds like it sounds like uh, Haaland at home, basically. Uh, Holland, right? The, the fake Holland. Um why would you take him off? It makes no sense, right? And on top of that, then he brings on Anthony and Martial on the 86th minute after we're, we're up 3-0. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? So <laughs> What are you doing? Hoyland, makes no sense. <laughs> Hoyland was the only player that looked good for them, I think. Like, Hoyland was the only one that looked like he was trying and he was the only one that even looked like a threat at, at some times. Like, I thought Oiland was about as good as you can be for a striker in that United team. But he's the only one that looked decent, Yeah, to be honest. I, like, I just... <laughs> no, it's funny. I just opened the game up. I I didn't realize it. Mason Mount got subbed at half time. Yeah, oh yeah. He was invisible. I didn't even notice him. <laughs> right, yeah, I, I honestly... Oh, man. I forgot he even played for United until he got <laughs> subbed on. It's like, oh, yeah, Mason Mountain. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about him. Oh, yeah, he was like a 65 million pound signing or whatever he was. Terrible and signing. And you just completely I, forget about who he is. I, when, when they signed him, I was like, what are they doing? Why? How does this fit? It's like they're signing the name and not the player that fits. Typically United, but anyway. But, yeah, like you said, Amrabat was probably the only player you said, like, doing well. It might have, it might have been because of his yellow card. I don't know, but like still, even then. Well, that and he like Amrabat is a very like gritty defensive midfielder, right? And so you kind of need that to like try to break things up in the midfield. And you yeah. know he's he's overmatched, obviously, but at least he's trying, right? Like at least he's you can see a work rate there. You can see effort. That's how bad it's gotten for your United, where. Players look good because they're trying. Like that's that was that's, that's really the bar. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, oh, I, 
And another thing he said you did, Bruno Fernandes on the right. What? <laughs> yeah, and especially because he wasn't really a right wing. Like, he kept drifting inside, and that's why Guardiol had so much space, is because Bruno didn't really want to go out there. So yeah. there was just all that Crazy. space. Bruno really didn't want to track back, and and then he's your best playmaker. He should be centrally, and instead you're going to have Scott McTominay play there. Uh, honestly. And, and Bruno on the right-hand side, and it just it doesn't make any sense to me really crazy tactics absolute crazy tactics and you know i don't really only had i'd take two good chances the scott mctominy in the second half he took a good shot and good save by edison edison's been like i always give edison props since like middle of last season you know he's been fantastic in fantastic form with his hands which is fantastic to see and he still continues to do it or doing a lot of good saves um, and the only other chance was that Rashford chance, but which might have been offside. I'm not sure um, where he like, you know, went past everyone, but then missed. Basically, that was probably their two best chances in the game. But otherwise, and and I think did both chances come off mistakes from us as well? Um, I, know the, I, I think the Scott McTominay one did. I'm not sure about the, the Rashford. McTom- one. I don't. I don't think the McTominay one did, but the. Rashford one, I, the other ones did. Yeah, it, okay. I don't think the McTominay one did though, because Rashford made a really nice pass. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was, it was, it was a beautiful day. Let's let's actually talk about City now. Um, <laughs> I, I want to talk about was, Gavardio. I mean, yeah, he's he's, he's unreal. an alien, man. He's an alien. Yeah, he's he's twenty one. Like. He is younger than Erling Holland and Phil Foden. Just remember that. Like, and he's a defender, and defenders generally peak later. Like he is, I, I think he will be under Pep, like definitely the best defender in the world all around. And that's crazy yeah. to say because we have Ruben Diaz and John Stones on the team, on our team. Like I know that's <laughs> that's wild to me, and so yeah, it what he does, Bernardo, like Bernardo just ran the show. Uh, and- you know what? Uh, something to talk about about Bernardo. Sorry to, to, to interject, but and I, you can finish this point right after. But I actually really enjoyed this lineup the way we set up. In, in terms of where Bernardo was on the pitch, I, th- I think we need to use it and utilize it a little bit more. Yeah, I, I loved how it was last year because he did it some last year. Him and Grealish work really well together. I, mm. I think I've done it in some like some tactics threads I did last year, but him and Grealish on the left work really well because he provides an overlapping and underlapping threat. And... Any winger. I know people are saying like, oh, Grealish only works best if there's an overlap. It's not true. But any winger that's inverted like that, there needs to be some sort of threat in behind, right? Like David Silva used to to provide that. Yeah, it used to be Cancelo a lot as well. Yeah, it used to be Cancelo. It used to be be David Silva even before that just underlapping, right? Like you don't need pace, but there needs to be a threat. Like, the defense needs to worry about that 
and that can create more space cutting inside. So him and yeah, him and Grealish have become a really good partnership. I would expect that to keep going throughout the year because like Doku doesn't need anyone, right? It still That's helps, right, yeah. but like Doku can just run at people. Uh the way Grealish plays and the and the way Bernardo plays, it just it works so well. Cause then you have multiple and you have you have Grealish who's a very good passer and a really good threat to pass. And Bernardo, who's always a threat no matter where he is on the pitch. So those two together, it's just it works really well. I it wouldn't surprise me if we even saw some of that from like Grealish and Foden throughout later in the year as well. Because you have that left footer where if Foden's in behind, he's got the whole goal to look at and he can kind of pick out a pass. Yeah. And it's a bit unfortunate for Foden. Um because and this is another thing with with Doku. So you know, I think we when we, when Doku when we first signed him, we knew he was gonna play left wing and right wing. But it seems like it's it's become clear that his best position is left wing. It, he doesn't see, he doesn't seem he doesn't seem as comfortable on the right from what I've seen so far from Doku. Um, and that kind of again shifts Foden out to the wing when Bernardo does play this role. But I don't I, for me I don't mind. I feel like. You have to play your your players in the best positions. That's gonna like make us excel as a team. And having Bernardo centrally gives us the work rate and the and the retention and all that. Um, rather than Foden, we we were a bit. I feel like we. I felt like we were a bit more balanced. But I feel like I think Pep's gonna change it up now, depending who plays. So like if Doku's on the wing, then he might play Foden in midfield type of thing and then put Bernardo on the right wing for different type of control. So, yeah, it's it's giving us more options, which is good to see. Um, and this is what Pep does early on in the season. He always, you know, puts different lineups, put different combinations of players. So, when the time does come, we know what our best lineup is going to be. So, it's going to be interesting. And that's especially when, when um, Kevin De Bruyne returns, it's going to be interesting to see what will become our go-to lineup? Because I think there'll be another adjustment period when when KDB when KDB is back. Yeah, it, I think it's a game-to-game basis too, right? Because Foden yeah, and Bernardo opponent. can just interchange. So it's it depends on the opponent how Pep wants to do it. I love that flexibility, though. I I absolutely love it, and so. I mean, <laughs> Rodri Stones were also incredible, by the way. Um, you know, they just Stones just looks better and better in that role every game. I think we're gonna see more of a kanji there. It's just gonna take a kanji some time to understand that role. Just because when I mean when you're a center back and you've been a center back your whole life, it's not easy to learn how to play defensive midfielder. Like I think yeah. Pep even said it, like you have to adopt a more like 360 view of the pitch, which really only a defensive midfielder has. He said that about Foden. He said, I want Foden to eventually become a deep-lying playmaking midfielder, but you need to develop a more 360 view of the pitch, and that that's just going to take some time. But I think we'll see more of a kanji in there, and Rico Lewis has been good in there, but John Stones is just... Another level. He's a different level. He's a different level. And with we him and man- Rodri there, <laughs> it's unreal. We got to manage his minutes for sure. Just got to make sure we yeah. keep him fit for the rest of the season. 
That's and that's the good thing as well is that we're so well stocked in the defensive position we can do that. What's what's interesting is always early on the season it looked like Kovacic was going to become a staple in the lineup, but I feel like he's kind of lost his spot um, from being the staple in that in that midfield. I feel like Pep just put, and then this is why I like it. I prefer I I do prefer Bernardo Alvarez Foden in there rather than. Than Kovacic, so for me, Kovacic right now is the the man on on the out in terms of yeah, he's looking he's looking out from in. Um, but it I'm sure he goes he'll, though. Yeah, he'll get he'll get chances, but I, I feel like it's become clear that we do operate better um, with one of these more attack minded players, right? So Kovacic, for me, Kovacic is, and you see it when it, whenever he comes on, he gets into the box, and he just looks he looks absolutely lost. He's like, ooh. I'm in the box. What am I doing here? <laughs> he just, it doesn't suit him. He's just like, I don't know what to do now. I, I, find, I got here, but now now what? <laughs> it reminds me of like the Coyote, Coyote chasing the speedrunner. <laughs> if he ever catches him. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't know what to do in the box. Yeah. And I mean, that's also not a knock on Kovacic to say you're not as good as Bernardo Foden and Alvarez, right? It's and, not. It's, not, it's even, not, yeah. And it's not even that he's not as good like he looks like he fits still immediately, but obviously, like, those guys have played under Pep for years now. So, he's still learning, and he'll still get plenty of chances. He'll still play in big games. It's just going to take it's gonna take some time, and we have at least added depth. Like, I don't really think the team drops off as that much when he's on the pitch. In the box, maybe, but... In terms of like the the way City build up and the way City play, like he's still he's still great. He's still going to get plenty of chances, and I think he'll still perform. Yeah. He, so I'm not I'm not too worried about. And also, you know, he essentially was a depth signing, right? Like he wasn't this world class big money signing. He was a yeah. thirty million pound depth signing. So he, he was never he was never going to be the Gundogan for us. I don't think. So he could be, but it's going to take some time. Like Gundogan didn't even become Gundogan for three, four years. Like yeah. he was still a solid player the first couple of years, but he didn't become the star at City until David Silva left. Right? Yeah, yeah. But Gundogan's Gundogan's always had that scoring, scoring ability. He just you just yeah. he's got that touch, he, the though? magic touch. He's got a magic touch in the box, man. Come on. <laughs> no, he didn't. I didn't think he he didn't score many goals up until, like the what was it the first false nine season where he got like ten or fifteen goals. Yeah, that that was because he was finally getting more chances. But for me, Gundogan, like, I, just to give you an example, Gundogan doesn't look lost when he's in 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 the box. For me, Kovacic looks completely lost when he's in the box. But that's and that's because it's top. And that, look, I don't know. That's not top type of player he is. Like, I think Nunes, for example, is a better in the box player than Kovacic. But yeah. Kovacic does other things really, really well. Like he's a very good, you know, first phase player, very good ball retention, very good dribbler, and that's that's what you need out of Kovacic. And that's what you you might play Kovacic. I think in games where it's like playing maybe Bayern Munich, and you need a lot of control. Like, and I think he tried it against Arsenal, but against Arsenal, we didn't have Rodri to to make up for the yeah. other deficiencies in the lineup. But if Rodri was next to Kovacic in that Arsenal game, I think we control the game 
you know, five times better, right? And that's where, you, and that's the type of games where you expect Kovacic to be good. Um, in that game, he didn't look good, but you know, that's a factor of Roger being missing and then him having to do more and do things outside of his comfort zone that he might not be the best at. So for me, that's where he'll come into later in the season. Um, I, I think he'll get better in the box too. He'll score more just because he'll have opportunities, right? Like, uh, I, I don't Chelsea, think so. <laughs> I, I think disagree so. with you. I disagree with you on this point um, because I think he scored like what four goals or five goals in his like six or seven years at Chelsea. He's just yeah, but that's goal. also because he never played in the box at Chelsea. Like he was always a double pivot there. If you look at like the amount of touches in the box, he was never a guy who ever got in the box. And that honestly remind like if you look at Gundogan at Dortmund. It was the same thing because Gundogan was never a guy to to run in the box. He he just that's how you are. It's kind of like you know Fernandinho at City. He was never going to score a ton of goals because he was a defensive midfielder. Rodri's a really weird outlier because he can just score from anywhere. But <laughs> but like it's Ro- when Rodri's you, ability to read the game is perfect. That's that's the big difference as well. Yeah, but like I guess my point is that like. Kovacic's job, especially under Tuchel and under Sarri, was never to get in the box anyways. It was never, like, especially under Tuchel, he played, like, you're in a double pivot. You you don't go, and that team didn't really score much at all anyways. But I think he'll score more just because he'll have more chances. Like, he's going to learn to make better runs in the box. He's, like, he's just going to have more chances. Whereas, like, before he just never got anywhere near the box, so he's never going to have any chances of scoring. We'll see. <laughs> we'll come back to this point at the end of the season if he scored any goals. I reckon he'll score one goal for the whole season. <laughs> Maybe. Just one, I do one, think Nunez one, is good around banger. the box. <laughs> just one banger from out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, Nunez is much better in the box. I agree. New, I think Nunez and Nunez. It's kind of the same thing. Like he barely scores goals, but. That's because he played mostly as a double pivot, like mm. at Wolves and at Sporting. He was mostly in a double pivot, so he kind of would burst forward, but he never really got a ton of opportunities in the box. But you could see the raw quality in Nunes, even though he hasn't been like he's been fine for the beginning of his city career, but you can see the raw talent. Like if if mm. Pep can pull out. The best out of him. That's a that's a player. Agree, agree. Um, closing off on the game, uh, besides the the three 0 win, and another tangent. Ballon d'Or, as expected, Messi won it. Haaland came second. Any yeah, thoughts on I that? mean, look, the Ballon d'Or is a popularity contest. Uh, that's just what it is. It's not. I know it's supposed to signify the best footballer that year, but it doesn't. It's a popularity contest. And also, it heavily weighs the World Cup. Heavily. Like, Emiliano Martinez won best goalkeeper. You know what I mean? Like, in what world was he the best keeper last year? Thibaut Courtois was the best keeper last year. He's been the best keeper for a couple of years. It's but, it's an it's an unfortunate thing where the World Cup is so heavily favored. It's like you're giving you're giving out a yearly award 
right? Yeah, the, the World Cup has games. its own awards. Exactly. The World Cup has its own awards. Exactly. So, seven games. You're judging a but whole... Like, yeah, makes no sense. That's why, that's why Julian Alvarez finished seventh in the Ballon d'Or voting. He shouldn't... Like, I love Julian Alvarez. He did, He was not the seventh best player in the world last year. He wasn't. Yeah, for for me, so, it's an absolute robbery. Yeah, so the, the way I look at it is... Did Messi have a better season than Holland last year? Absolutely not. Like, it, Messi still had a great season, not by Messi standards, because Messi standards are crazy. But, like, Holland set the Premier League goals record. He set so many records and also won a treble, right? And just because he's Norwegian he, and has no chance of playing at the World Cup, that that's supposed to count against him? I... It doesn't make sense, but it makes sense because the Ballon d'Or is about, it's about narrative. It's about popular, like the narrative had to be that Messi won it this year because he's Messi to me, the greatest player of all time. And he won his world cup. So you have to give it to him because it's the narrative. I know that's not what the, the, what it should be for, what the, what the trophy is for. But that's what it is. Same with like Luka Modric when he won it. It's because Croatia made the World Cup finals. And Luka Modric is amazing. Like, I, I, but if Croatia doesn't make the World Cup finals, Luka Modric doesn't win the Ballon d'Or. Like, it, yeah. it has nothing to do with how he did at Real Madrid, even though he was the best midfielder in the world during that year. To, to me, a player scoring. 53 goals last season or 52 goals last season. Winning a treble. You won your way for play of the year. You won play of the season for the Premier League. You basically cleaned up every single award possible, right? Literally every award possible. You got top goal scorer in Europe, top goal scorer in the Premier League. Every award you can think of in one season and your team done an unprecedented treble. Right, this doesn't happen often. I think only eight teams have won the treble in in all of Europe. Right, so it's not a it's not a thing that occurs, you know, every few years. It's 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 a rare occurrence. Right, the World Cup. There's a fucking winner every four years, no matter what. A treble doesn't happen often. So to not award a player, like I'd understand if we had won the treble in. 2021 when we against Chelsea, right? We did, although we didn't win the FA Cup that year, I'd understand not giving a player on that team the a, a Ballon d'Or because it was a very balanced team. But even though I'd say given Kevin De Bruyne was probably the best player on that team and Ruben Diaz, etc. But Ruben Diaz won Player of the Season, Kevin De Bruyne won different like the different awards got got given out. I'd understand that in a team like that where there's no standout performer, you don't give him you don't give that team the Ballon d'Or. But we had a standout performer that broke multiple records. He broke the Premier League record in his first season. It's a debut season. You need to reward that with a Ballon d'Or. I don't give a yeah. fuck if I don't give a fuck if Messi won his first World Cup. That doesn't mean he deserves a bloody Ballon d'Or. That just means he finally it's- won the World Cup as you know, as one of the greatest players of all time. He is the greatest player of all time, in my opinion. But for him. Good on him. He finally done it. But don't reward him as the best player of the season for seven games. He wasn't good at Paris Saint-Germain. He was good, but he wasn't that good. He wasn't He wasn't at his usual messy levels. It wasn't amazing levels. So you robbed Haaland 
of a Ballon d'Or that he should have got at a treble season. People are going to look back and go, why didn't Haaland win the Ballon d'Or? Who won it that year? And they go, oh, Messi won the World Cup that year. Oh, okay. So they gave they gave them, they gave him the Ballon d'Or because he won a team competition that that encompassed a single month yeah. with seven games. That's I mean, where it we, comes. That's where it comes down to me. From yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a popularity contest, and it's a it's it's a narrative thing. Like I said, like Fabio Cannavaro won it in two thousand six because Italy won the World Cup. Yeah, right. Too much and too Fabio Cannavaro is a very good defender, but it, that's it's about the World Cup. That's too much that's emphasis on the World kind Cup. Kind of what man. it is. Yeah, it. That's just that's the award. But Holland it, will win plenty. He'll win. He'll win next year probably. It, it, it was like when Jorginho finished third in twenty twenty one because yeah. uh, because Italy won the Euros and Chelsea won the Champions League. It's like. We understand these teams done well in their certain competitions. It doesn't mean you need to reward Jorginho with the third best player in the world. That makes no yeah. fucking sense. Reward players based on their performance and what. They- yes, count what teams have done, and that's why, like you know, Harlan's team won the treble, right? But also count what the individuals done. <laughs> well, Harlan's even done e- everything. What else can you even do? If you, even if you look at the voting, like. Gundogan was 14th, right? And Yassin Bono was 13th because he played on that Moroccan national team that made a run. That's why he was there. He wasn't the one of the best goalkeepers in the world at Sevilla. He's a solid keeper, but it's because Morocco made that magical run and he was their keeper. Such and so he gets placed over... Ilkay Gundogan, who was one of the best midfielders in the world this past year, so Absolutely that's stupid. That's that's just how it is. I don't know. Maybe it just doesn't bother me as much because I I kind of expect this. I kind of expected it. Yeah, yeah. I, like I was always expecting it. But the crazy yeah, thing, yeah. the the crazy thing is, if the World Cup wasn't in Qatar, it, the World Cup would have been played in June, like any other World Cup, and this wouldn't <laughs> have counted. And this wouldn't have counted because Messi would have won the Ballon d'Or last year. year. Yeah, when Benzema yeah. won it. So the fact that it got played, in, like, it's just such an unlucky thing to happen for Haaland. I just feel bad for him because a season like that, a team like this should be rewarded with what is considered the most prestigious individual trophy. So that's why I feel, you know, I feel the, what do they call it? lost for words right now um but i feel like grieved basically for him it's like yeah it's just absolutely robbed in my opinion and i i I actually gives him more motivation now yeah look i actually you know and i'm i'm a fan of messi i think he's literally the greatest player of all time and he's to me an alien when it comes to you know playing on the football pitch still doesn't mean he deserved the ballon d'or he already had seven of them and for good reason so he didn't need that eighth just because he won a World Cup. Absolutely stupid. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. No, no. We forgot one more point. What's that? United's shit. We can end it on that now. <laughs> <laughs> Get a ten, give me a 10-year contract extension for Eric Ten Hag. <laughs> just put it on the table. <laughs> he signed the damn thing. <laughs>
it's always good to it's always good to laugh at United. It's always yes makes makes the heart lift. <laughs> Let's hope another ten years of this shit continues for him. <laughs> yes, and then when the ten All years right, end, guys. we get another ten years. <laughs> that would be awesome. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Catch up.